Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas will get such a shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. So I was just enjoying a nice quiet night in, uh, Connor, last night. It's very unusual, you know, to have a quiet night in watching television. Um, it's not like it's what we do every night, seven days a week. But anyways, um, a huge shock, I have to say, came up on the phone that the, the news that the GEA Intercounty is not has been reclassified. It's not seen as an, an elite sport anymore and therefore cannot team intercounty teams cannot train or play during level five restrictions. And if we're being honest, level five restrictions are going to continue after March the 5th. So but by, by, by all accounts now, it's going to be Easter, which is the 4th of April before they might get the go ahead. They're going to need four weeks training. So we're looking at a championship starting in May. Connor, is there any more of this we can actually take at this stage? Like number, kid, this is my just take on it. We're not going to go overboard on this COVID stuff because it is a GEA show, but this has a direct implication on GEA. I see numbers falling. I see a vaccine, which we've been waiting a year for. I, I would have thought there should be some positivity around the whole thing. Instead, what we're seeing is the vaccine being rolled out really slow. And for some reason, a huge clamour for increased restrictions rather than the easing of them. We're used to, as numbers fall, potentially easing them. And now there's the huge clamour seems to be for increasing restrictions. And like, I mean, the GEA was allowed to go ahead with around a thousand cases last October. And now it's not allowed to go ahead. And to be honest, for a lot of people, the, the situation we're in now in a new year with no hope, no holidays in the summer, we're being told, geez, there's not much more of this we can take here, Connor. Yeah, I, I mean, look, we're we're crying out for some good news, Willie, and and for us from from a GA background as well. Like last, last just last night was just a big blow. It was just so disappointing. I mean, it was a shock as much as anything else because 
as a like I I wasn't aware I wasn't aware that the GA had lost its elite status as as it previously had in relation to uh, level five restrictions. Um, I wasn't aware of that until the GA statement last night. So we go from a position where we're looking at. Uh, I remember talking last week, you know, talking optimistically, hearing a few GA heads saying, you know, the senior heads in the GA saying that, yeah, um, you know, we're confident of the league being able to, you know, return to competition in March. A return to competition in March would have meant a return to training at the end of February, which is only a couple of weeks away. So at least, you know, there, there was signs that things were we we're going to get a little bit of routine back, you know, in, in certainly in terms of the GA schedule. That's all gone now. We're looking now at, as you said, what Easter. So that's. Easter for training, which would mean inter-county at a minimum in May. We'll see what changes in the meantime. So just, yeah, at a time when the news all seems to be bad, you know, there just there, there doesn't seem to be any chink of light. And just last night was a was a particularly, particularly big blow. Yeah, no, it definitely was. Come here to talk to us um, a little bit more about this. Um, we have the GA's Director of Communications, Alan Milton, and he joins us on the line now. Alan, this came as a huge shock to myself and Connor last night. I presume you guys were equally shocked when you found out. Well, there was a meeting earlier on in the week with government officials, and what, what came as a bit of a surprise to us was, in, in crystal clear terms, it was confirmed that the exemption, and that's what it turned out to be, that we got before Christmas uh, was no longer uh, in effect. So when you, when you don't have an exemption to go back, uh, and in, in essence that was based on one thing, column, and that was the fact that we can't bubble our players. Uh, right. That meant that th- there was no, you just couldn't contend. The idea of going back to inter-county training in that scenario just didn't stack up. Now, I have to say, Colm, there wasn't the same clamour this time around to get back as there would have been last April or May when you know we were in, in the first stage of this horrible pandemic. But but by the same token, I think the clamour this time around was more based on when will we know, and that's why we were keen to put it out there last night. While it was, it, it was not good certainty. It's certainty of a kind now that people know that until Easter, which is I think the third of April, off the top of my head, we won't be doing anything at any level, and that's quite stark for a games organisation with no games and no training. And I can rest assured, it's not a position we want to be in. But I, I think people appreciate with the figures and with the transmissions and where it's at especially with the new strains and the new variants, that uh, we have to be responsible in this and we just have to do our best to suck it up and get through it. So is that what it comes down to, the new strains and the new variants? Because, you know, the numbers right now are pretty similar to what they were in October. Well, that hasn't been articulated to us at that level. That was that would probably be a discussion to, to be had with an effort. But yeah, our, our communications and our contacts will be obviously with the Department of Sport uh, and on occasion with other departments as well, namely health. But... Uh, yeah, I think if you look at the figures, are, there's lots of comparisons to be drawn with the figures of this time and late last winter. But the, the new strains in circulation and the transmissions and how it went and the close contacts, they're different if you look at them from where they were. And I think my read of it, and it's only my personal read of a column, is that the, the government are intent on in getting the schools back. And I think everybody's in support of that. Uh, and also, I think there's an appetite out there to ensure that this lockdown works and it's the last lockdown we have. So if we've got to abide by those rules, then we have a responsibility to do that as much as we would love to be back. And especially for young people, non-contact training and pods would be superb at a time when we don't have schools. But, you know, our activity stopped last year when the schools went out and I, I never really expected us to be back at full throttle with, on a meaning, in a meaningful way until the schools were back fully and were obviously some way off that at the moment. Right. Wait, was this an effort decision or was this a government decision? Well, 
I can only tell you that we were dealing with the government, but government are obviously in constant contact with NEFIT. So the government take their guidance, as Tony Holohan and Ronald Glynn will say. They, they advise the government. It's up to the government then to take a position on it. So the Taoiseach was on the national uh, broadcaster on the airways this morning, and, and he said, look, we have a new Living with COVID plan coming out next week. So they're obviously revising that, and that's been our roadmap and everybody's roadmap. So I don't know what we're going to get in that that's new, but I would like to think that if there was a chink of light or if things were to keep improving the way they are, that this is not cast in stone. But for the time being, yeah. our COVID committee, and they're the experts that we lean on and who we appointed, and, and Mary Hogan chairs that committee, uh, and Shay Bannon is, is in the mix there as well. It's um, it's They're the experts, and that's the advice we simply have to adhere to. And I've said this to, before, probably to you as well, Colin, but this is not our field of expertise. We have to take our, our advice, or we have to take guidance from people who work in this on a, in a, on a daily basis. I, th- I think Micheál Martin left some wiggle room um, in that interview. Like he, he said that that living with COVID plan is being published in two weeks, and that like it's it maybe not set in stone that the April the fourth start date is going to be um, guaranteed. Yeah, and then the figure we put out last last night was. Like that, that was an educated assessment from the COVID committee. But yeah, I share your optimism. He he definitely didn't close it down. Uh, but I'd imagine, I know it's a cliche and I know people's eyes glaze over when they hear this term, but things changed so much and so quickly last year. We learned a lesson that we can't align yourselves in a concrete way to anything at any given time. And that's why we've just said, look, we can't see any action before Easter. We'll right. regroup at Easter, see where we're at. We'll reconnect with the government and see what their take on things are. And hopefully it will have changed for the better. So at least that gives county managers and club people, it gives everybody a degree of certainty. It's not the certainty we would have liked, but it's certainty that they're not they're not hanging and they're not waiting for daily day-to-day updates, which which doesn't do anybody any good. No, it doesn't do. So even if the government were to, you know, say in two weeks' time, look, you can start now, you're committed to April the 4th, which is is that Easter weekend. And, you know, for the clarity that the inter-county managers and any of the managers I try to get on the show at the mo- moment, the majority of them are telling me, I'm not going to come on, Woolly, until we know what the hell we're at. <laughs> yeah, and it's I understand our predicament. I would suggest if the government were to come back to us in two weeks, Woolly, what we would do in that scenario is you'd reconvene your COVID committee and say, listen, the goalposts have moved. There could yeah. be wriggle room here for us to do something before that. But I think the expertise on that committee that I mentioned, and I mentioned two of the people on it, they have been very close to this whole pandemic. So they haven't they haven't been wrong yet. I'm not saying they're infallible. Nobody is. But if, if that was to change positively, you can rest assured we'd be flexible enough to embrace the potential for change. Yeah, I have to say, Mary Horgan, anytime I hear her, seems to have, you know, she's able to speak to the common man, if that's if that makes any sense to you. She understands she she understands the struggles people are having. And I, I don't know, I can relate to her. I know she's on Nefit, but I can see I yeah. seem to relate to her an awful lot easier than I do to anybody I watch on the television, for example. Yeah, well, this is extremely complex. Like, who would have thought me and you would be discussing all rates 12 months ago? What was an all rate? <laughs> you know, or close contacts would have meant something of a very different nature. And I agree with you. Mary's been hugely helpful to the GA here, as have all the members of the COVID committee. But I'd put her in the same bracket as Professor Luke O'Neill, who speaks a language we can all digest. You know, the, the problem with society today, Willie, is that we all want everything now. Everything is instantaneous, and that's thanks to, to technology. But there are no instantaneous answers or solutions to something as complex as this. And what Mary and Luke and people like that have successfully done is they've broken it down and they, they make it digestible. Uh, and I think that's everybody's craving for some sort of certainty or some sort of a roadmap. And 
you know, personally, I'd be selective about whose information I follow, um, you know, to try and get special insights. And, and, and two of the people you've just mentioned would definitely be two people I'd hold in high regard in that, in that context. Two uh, more questions before I let you go, Alan. Um, you touched on juvenile training there. What, like, I mean, is this something that when the schools go back, you can start Sunday morning training? Like the children, I know from mine here in the house, like, I mean, they need to get out, <laughs> you know? Most certainly do. And I, I, I feel your pain, let me tell you, because I'm the same here with three of them under 11. And it's, it's uppermost in our task, the mental health of our young people. But uh, I, I would like to think if we get our children back in the classroom, that going back in pods of 12 or 15 in a, on a non-contact basis might at least come back on the agenda for discussion. I think it's really important for the kids to reconnect with their friends, to be out in the open, to be exercising for a variety of reasons, not least because they're not back in school at the moment. But uh, last year, it was it was one of our guiding principles. If you couldn't have kids in school, it, it was a hard ask to get them back to train collectively. Uh, I also think that the government rightly are hell-bent on getting the schools back in a safe way and nothing should nothing should really jeopardise that. So I, that's one we're just going to have to wait and see on. But it's one we're very, very keen to move on as soon as we're told we can. Yeah, okay. Uh, last one is the like the championship, obviously, as it stands now, best case scenario is a May start, which is when the championship was going to start last, you know, even before last night. Then we have a National League. Is, is it just that we rip up the National League? I know that's not going to help the A versus B standings and it, it, that gets messy then again. Like, I mean, it would be cleaner maybe just start with the championship, but then what do you do, you know, with the league standings and what do you do with the National League? Yeah, you're you're right. Well, it's very, it's complicated, and for that reason, it's it's why we haven't committed to making any changes yet. We're not at the tipping point yet. So if we get if we got started, if we got back training in April and you got started playing in May, there are tweaks we could make to the master plan as it exists at the moment. Right. Why you could still have a league. It may be a truncated or a condensed league, but as you've rightly pointed out, it has extra importance this year because it was going to determine who was going to play in the the Talshan Cup. Uh, secondly. If it gets to the stage whereby we reach that tipping point and it's a blank canvas operation, you could be looking at a flip situation where the club uh, could take place just as it did last year, which would give the GA an opportunity to have perhaps some small crowds in quarters three or four. But we didn't pursue that route originally because we simply didn't know when the country would go back to levels two or three, which is what we need to have club activity again. So you could yeah. have left these big gaps and not be able to fill it with club activity, and then you'd have left the club high and dry, which would be would would be scandalous. So you know you couldn't entertain it. So I think around the, the Easter, that I'm building this date up of the third or fourth of April, but it's going to be a big, big uh, date in terms of what how our season hinges in terms of both the windows we have to fill and what we fill them with. Yeah, exactly, Alan. Thanks very much for filling us in there. Not time any any time, Carl. All right, great stuff from Alan there. Another one, Connor, is um, there's been an increase in GPA counselling services. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I can't stress how hard this is for the people that I speak to on a daily basis. Like, I mean, it's not that many, but on the phone and different people, WhatsApp groups, whatever, everybody's struggling, you know. And like, like we said at the start of the show, there seems to be no hope. It seems to be a swimmer getting arrested for going outside his 5K. Like, what's the justification for that? In the sea in Port Marnock, are the police waiting at a forest, you know, for you to make sure you're inside 5K? All you're doing is exercising. For me, it seems to have gone to a, a little bit of a crazy level, and we want to be very respectful to people who have lost family members, you know, due to COVID. But at the same time, 
you know, it's just, it, it's a very, very difficult time. I think the most difficult time since last March. Um, so down hurling manager Ronan Sheehan, he's on the GPA National Executive Committee. He said there's been a big increase in players um, seeking help to, de- to deal with various insecurities. And he said they begin to question what their purpose in life is. They don't have, the, um, if they don't have this game, the structure and the routine, then who am I? And we know, Connor, that this intercounty game dominates these players' lives. And I don't know, some people see that as a bad thing. Uh, you know, some players would see it as a good thing, having that structure, having that training. It's a very, very healthy pastime, as long as it doesn't go overboard on it and become completely obsessed. But like, can you imagine? It's this is basically like younger players from you know even minors, seventeen up to maybe twenty-seven or twenty-eight, that they know no nothing else other than training and matches. It's what they love doing. And they've almost been, been, you know, they're almost like retired players now, mature retired players at 35 who have the maturity to deal with this. OK, I'm out of the game. This is what these younger players are dealing with now. Yeah, yeah. I saw Ronan Sheen uh, speak about this as well. And he was comparing it to that situation where retired players, you know, that they've stepped away from the inter-county game and they have a vacuum that they need to fill. But the difference here is that, like, in most of those cases for retired players, They've made that decision to step away themselves. It hasn't been taken out of their hands. They've yeah. figured that I'm in my mid to late 30s now. It's time for me to step away from intercounty, and it's up to me to kind of prepare for what's next. Whereas somebody who might be, you know, early 20s, mid 20s, at the peak of their powers, and this is what they know, and this is this is what they're rightfully looking forward to for the next maybe 10 years of their lives, you know, and to have that taken away. And we know from the the studies that have been done, Willie, we've talked about it often enough, is that this this you know an intercounty an intercounty regime for for players these days tends to take up anthem from you know 30 to 40 hours which can be unhealthy in some cases but it it takes up a lot of time so what else in your life you know is comparable in terms of that amount of time and it's like the only other thing really is your job maybe and especially yeah. at times like this could you imagine having you know your job taken away from you and the kind of identity and routine that comes with that so listen it's um huge huge sympathy for for the players and obviously yeah, obviously, it's having an effect in terms of the the, the calls to the GPA counselling services. And, and I will say in fairness to the GPA that like they have been criticised, rightly so, for a lot of things. But there are a lot of testimonies from players past and present who have approached them on issues like this before and, and have got help out of it. So I'm, I hope that they've they've been able to kind of ease some of the worries that, that, that some of the county players have been contacting them about in these cases. Yeah. And like, I mean, another thing about like these players who are used to being out and about and I kind of like that as well. You like being busy and you like being kind of challenged and you're spending way too much time online. And online is can be often like an echo chamber where you, you kind of follow the people you agree with and you, you almost become radicalised online, Connor. Like, I mean, it's, you know, you see it happening to a lot of people. Like, there's not enough things to, and even for children. Like, I mean, this is the last unhealthy, this is the most unhealthy thing you could possibly have for children stuck indoors and online or on tablets or watching television. Yeah, like it was a funny conversation I was having with a few people this week is that it's it's children I feel the most sorry for because it's they're, they're so impressionable at this age, particularly like, you know, and like we've had it, what, we've been going on for this for a year now. And the longer it goes on, the more used that they become to this type of behavior. That's not normal at all. Yeah. And obviously they're going to get out of it eventually, or you'd hope that they will, but, but that, that they would, but like it's, it, it will leave a lasting impact on them. And it's just that lack of social interaction, that lack of, um, that lack of just being able to meet up with their friends, just, uh, like even outside of a GA context, and even in a GA context, just the, the release that they get from training and stuff like that for to, to, to miss out on that. It's, it's, 
it's those um it 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 it's it's the children I really I really feel feel the most sorry for to be. Yeah, I I see my own son Mannix. He's only he's four in three weeks, and like I mean, loved playing by himself. Would come home from crash, and you know he would go. He he could play for an hour with different things, and he wouldn't be you know on to you. Now it's just constant daddy daddy. He needs he he needs something to stimulate him. He needs human yeah. interaction, and he's constantly on my case. I'm trying to work. It's he's trying to do stuff, and it's like geez, it's like it is those children who are used to interactions who need that interaction with other children. That's the saddest thing of you know at this time. And so many people would have would have talked Willie, especially about the. What the cool camps did last year, and the, like this is of course only going back to a GA context, but I'm sure there was similar stuff replicated in other sports and other kind of facets of life, whatever. But but how how refreshing they were, both for parents to be able to, you know, both for parents to be able to to give that give their children a different environment to be able to interact with other people, yeah, and then that they're that they then come back, then then come back in a better mood to their home environment and they're less likely to be niggling at you the whole time and niggling at parents and stuff like that so yeah i just well whatever about a return to actual ga action do you know that uh, inter-county action that we're obviously talking about it yeah. looks like that sort of thing is going to be delayed even further which is such a pity when you see that you know we're fine you know like spring is finally coming the evenings are starting to get longer and then you know we're going to have that and not be able to the kids aren't be, going to be able to go out and meet their friends and train and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, well, that, 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 that's the thing. Like, I mean, we're talking about GEA here because it's a GEA show, but the most important thing is to allow children back to school and allow them play sport. The most important thing in Ireland at the moment. That's the that's the big that's the big thing for me. We move on from that because um, this is something that kind of bothers me, has bothered me for a long time. And Joe, an, an interview Joe Canning um, did recently kind of, you know, made me kind of think about it again. He says, winning an All-Ireland with Galway in 2017 was one of my childhood dreams, and that was pretty special. But what I won with my club is the biggest thing for me. I just moved into a new house, and the only thing I'm hanging up is my five county medals and four club All-Irelands in one piece. Um, and and I don't know, I just got thinking, obviously, if you're going to compare four All-Ireland clubs and five county titles to an All-Ireland, you'd say, fair enough, the club would win. But, like, I did a poll on this because you often hear players saying, and often hear inter-county players saying that, oh, look, inter-county is great, but it's what you win with your club is the most important thing. And I never really believed that because, like, I've won a Leinster club with Port Leash and I've won a Leinster with Leash. And now I would think the club, prefer the club because I was on the team and captain and have better memories of it where I was, had, was injured with it, the county. But if I played a, a prominent role in both... Jeez, it'd be hard to say I wouldn't have enjoyed the the, the, the inter-county one better. But anyway, I did a poll on this and the results came in. 7,000 people voted, but 6,960 and 77.7% .7 would prefer to win a club All-Ireland than an inter-county All-Ireland. And I was wondering, are the results of this skewed? I hope people understood that the question was, if you're capable of playing either. And it wasn't just club players going, well, I'm only a club player, so I have no chance of inter-county. So I don't know. But it, it seems pretty convincing. Well... Yeah, it does. It, the, 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 the bit I'd say is convincing, Willie, is the testimonies from, you mentioned a couple of them, uh, Joe Canning is one, I think Shane Welsh maybe, Yeah. Uh, Coney, who've all experienced the other end of the stick. I mean, these guys these guys have all played inter-county. Some of them all, have won All-Ireland, not all of them, but they're, they're genuine in what they're saying that like club would mean more to them because I'll be honest, like, I, like you're in a better, obviously in a far better position to speak on it than me, but I always felt that the club players who were asked about that Part of me felt it was it was a bit token, and then like something you had to say, you know, yeah. like something you had to say for fear of upsetting your club team, you know, <laughs> like a, 
if people in your locality are going to be reading this, oh, look, who does he think he is? He preferred to win in All-Ireland with his county than his club, who, the people he've been playing with his whole lives. But I would I would also say as well that like in, in defence of kind of the, the, whoever would say inter-county, and I'm thinking obviously my own county Mayo, but like to say that the team that that, that is, obviously it's broken up now in the last uh, last few weeks, but the team that it's played together maybe since 2011, and they've built up bonds that I imagine would would last, you know, would last a lifetime. You know, so like these are going to be friends for life as well as the players that they've played club for. So I'd I'd equally respect if they were to say, you know, that that a county a county All Ireland would mean more to them. But I mean, I can't really kind of argue against a lot of the testimonies, and you know, some of them might be token, but a lot of them seem genuine as well when they say they prefer to win win a club All Ireland than a, than a county All Ireland. Yeah, Shane Walsh said club wins all day long. Now, Shane wouldn't have won either one, so he wants both ones. Because obviously, if you've got someone like Alan Brogan, who's won All-Irelands at Intercounty, and say, for example, he's won, he hasn't even won a county at club, if you were to ask him, he might go for club because he's never experienced yeah. that. You know, So, like, I mean, there's an element to that as well. But Shane Walsh hasn't won either, and he says club wins all day long. It means more to win something with the lads you grew up with, and more often or not, um, it's your family that's involved in club, especially smaller clubs. Intercounty gets more recognition. Either would be a massive achievement, but club hits the heart more and that's fair enough especially in small clubs where your family is involved and it you know it's just uh, you know very very close to your heart but I still think the idea of lads you grew up with like for example when I played with Port Leash I would have played with very few lads I grew up with as it turns out I grew up on a road in Port Leash and I had friends from there then I had friends from school only maybe one or two ended up playing with Port Leash and then Port Leash has such a big pick your senior team would be made up of age groups from you know there'd be 30-year-olds, 27-year-olds, you know, from different age groups down the way. So I think it's only small rural clubs like yourselves, uh, Connor, who kind of have the one, well, they're the people I grew up with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I can't help but uh, but take this opportunity to mention we went very close in 2010. We got to a, a junior All-Ireland final that we lost with the last kick of the game. But anyway, that's for another day. But yeah, that's it's it's clear from like as Shane Welsh puts it, you know, like even Joe Canning, you know, Port Dumna obviously were a powerhouse, but, you know, they still are a small club. They just happen to be blessed with that generation of players. So like Joe Canning is speaking from that experience as well. Like yeah. I was about to say, Willie, I'm sure if uh, if you would happen to win an All-Ireland with Parnells when, when you're during your time there in Dublin, <laughs> that it might have been the same to you as a Port Leash or with Leash. Well, that's fair enough. Well, listen, I, 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 I suppose the celebrations afterwards would be pretty similar if you're being honest, but yeah. that lovely, satisfying feeling, you know, the day after and the day after and seeing your Like, I'll never forget when we won the Leinster Club with Port Leash. I um, I got this fella, Doc Fitz, up to sing the Port Leash Queen. The Port Leash Queen is a song that was written in the 80s about, you know, a group of lads that went over on a, on a holiday with the club and people from the town and I got him up to sing after I made my captain speech. And I remember going out that night and, you know, bloody partying and whatever. And I woke up to the sound of this song being played down in the kitchen. So my father had gone out to get the video of the match. He had yeah. it got by maybe 10 o'clock next morning. And they were blaring out this Portlaoise Queen that was sung up on the up in the up in this on the on the podium in Newbridge. Um and I came down to the hall listening to that and I got in, you know, they were all in great form. Like, there's no beating that feeling. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's special, Willie. Do you know, and like, in, in fairness, like, you know, say in, in, in rural towns particularly, like anyone, you're talking about that, how many years on? Do you know what I mean? And like, if you went, if you're, if that happened in a local club, for example, a rural club, a smaller club, and you went down to the pub and had a chat about that 20 years later and you're still laughing about it and you're still getting a, bu- getting a buzz out of it. Do you know, we, we are talking about people who were centrally involved, whereas somebody, an inter-county player in a rural club that might do the same thing, sure enough, they'll be able to reflect on 
you know, winning in All-Ireland with their county 20 years later. But the same people, you know, that he's talking to on a daily basis wouldn't have been as centrally involved in it as they would have been with his club. So, like, you know, those sorts of stories, those sorts of real stories that as Shane Wells, they, they, they hit the heart more. I can kind of get where that where that comes from. But I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be necessarily dismissing how much how much winning a winning a winning a county which are which are all which winning all Ireland which your county would mean as well. Yeah, no. Despite that lovely touching moment, I'm still picking intercounty. <laughs> inter-county. <laughs> I think Sambo McNaughton Antrim's uh, Antrim Sambo McNaughton obviously he put it he put it best. He says, um, "You go to a county player's weddings and you meet up for a pint, but the lads you play with the club they'll shoulder you to to your grave." Like I mean, I don't think you can put it any any better than that, and it's probably true as well. All right, we're going to get someone on, uh, Connor, because me and you can't speak about this, obviously. We're going to get someone on who's experienced both All-Ireland Club and inter-county success. And it's current Sligo manager, Tony McEntee, and he joins us on the line now. We're, we're talking here, Tony, about which players prefer, inter-county All-Ireland or Club All-Ireland. Is it possible to pick or is it like ch- choosing between two children? <laughs> yeah, Colm, it's, it's an interesting question, but not a simple answer. So to be fair with it, I have won All-Ireland obviously with Arma, and that's special because they're not something that we win on a regular basis. So so it, it's a very precious thing to me, that County of Ireland. Um, to be fair, um, I have a, you know, unfortunately, I have a lot of club of Ireland uh, and with, with different teams, you know, both as player and manager, unfortunately, in my yeah. case. So to say that I would choose one over the other um, is unfair. I pressure, you know, I'm deeply, deeply precious of the club of Ireland and the time spent with my own club. Um, on that, but at the same time, um, the the county of Ireland has something special because it's it's um, it's a one-off in our case in Amas history. It's a one-off, you know. So it's yeah. hard for me to say say that I do, that I don't don't uh, don't think as much of it as I do with the club ones. It, it, yeah. it, seems, it, it seems to be kind of this kind of knee-jerk answer where people are asked this question and they nearly almost go always go with the club. And it seems like the stock answer. Maybe I'm completely wrong on this because, like, I did a poll on Twitter and it was very convincingly 77% towards the club. Maybe I'm misreading it because I was always thinking, like, you know, play, winning something with leash is the pinnacle of your sport. It's the highest you can, thing you can achieve. Club is is a bit, you know, more localised, more community. I, I would lean towards the enjoyment of the intercounty, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I would think, Colin, though, that people are looking at it simply from their own parish perspective rather than the bigger picture of, of, of what the County of Ireland brings to, to their success. And as you say, it's a bigger platform, it's a higher level. Um, and maybe the people that answer those questions are people in general rather than people at that um, county level who experience both, you know. Yeah, maybe that, and maybe it depends on the size of your club. It depends on your family situation and connections to the club. Like, there, look, there's no right or wrong answer, I suppose. Have you come down on one side or the other, or are you just sitting on the fence? Um, no, well, I think to be fair, the the county because we only have one, um, probably is is something special. You know, um, like it, it doesn't take away from the club, as I would say. Like, but I think I think having the county of Ireland would be, uh, would something that that only what's that thirty five people have in Arma. So yeah. it's going to be it's, it's going to be special for me, yeah. Yeah, and look, you've overdone the club all Ireland, so you you know that's probably <laughs> <laughs> you got too you got too greedy. Come here, what what about that announcement last night, Tony? Like, I mean, you're a newly appointed manager. I took I got it, it was a body blow to me reading it. I can only imagine what it was like to you. Yeah, first of all, out of the blue completely, out of the blue, wasn't expecting at all. And I have to say, the manner of the letter um, and the way the letter was received to me was. Um, 
uh, Happy Game is very angry, um, if I can say that, just last night, uh, haven't, haven't read it. Um, and probably, probably call him from a number of angles. Um, and, and if I can say this, is that you know, as a, from a county perspective, I mean, not forget about the club thing and broader GA, but just from a county perspective, which is a narrow window, I, I appreciate this. But I was very angry because we've been led along so far by saying that on the 15th of January, it's a return to play. Right? Because we're part of that elite that elite status. Now, I accept now, which I didn't understand at that stage, that this was an exemption rather than GA being an elite sport. Okay. But so it was an exemption under that bracket. Right. But nobody at that stage told us we were no longer the exemption on the 15th. And then we were told that we'd be back on the 5th of March. And then, obviously, now in February, we've been told that it will be at least April and possibly longer than that, you know. So, so there's a whole lot of issues in that for me. And, and that is that you know, the players, not just me, but the players are living in expectation here. And while we are, in our, I accept, in our own wee bubble, and it's not part of the wider community in this case, but, you know, some clarity and some direction in GA would be very helpful along the road. Here. Like, when did they know that we, that we were no longer uh, part of the exemption? Uh, on the on the level five, and yeah. if it was in January, well, why didn't they say it in January rather than rather than waiting to now as an example for that? You know, uh, and I think what we're missing here is some honesty within the GAA. Like, there's no point, and that letter deflects it to the government. It's now the government's issue because we're waiting on them to clarify before we put in our own roadmap. We need somebody in the GAA to say, listen, guys, this isn't going to work for us here. There's too much uncertainty, and we want to push it out till the latter half of the year, or give us some more clarity in relation to how we can do it this, uh, this part of the year because you simply can't plan as an county management or an inter-county setup of any description for something that's so uncertain in the way that, we'll be, that we can handle it uh, at, at the minute in respect to GA. Like, so raise me all I want something in GA to say, listen guys, this is what's actually happened here. These are our concerns. It's financial, it's community, it's whatever the case is and give us some clarity on it because this latter certainly doesn't doesn't provide that data. You know, more questions than answers for me. Yeah, my my reading of it was that the GEA were just landed with this in a recent meeting um, with with the government. I, I maybe I'm I'm wrong on that. Is your reading of it that they might have known about this re you know this exemption earlier? Well, I suppose what I'm saying is is that if they didn't know, well, why didn't they know? Uh, I suppose it's the thing. You know, they're supposed to be in uh, close dialogue here. Like you know, there is still responsibility on the GEA here to have. To have, to have clarity, you know, and if there's a gap here in that clarity, well, then we've got to identify what that is. But there's another angle possibly here, Colin. The other angle might be that this is the GA playing a game, in that, you know, the game being that this is a sense test for the community. How do how do people react to this? You know, if they're broadly supportive of this, then that's grand, everybody's happy. If they're broadly against this, then maybe the GA change their mind and, and go ahead with with uh, competition now in in May of some description, you know. Yeah. But but uh, either way, I think there's a game being played here, and we're not being told in pair through as this is, you know. Because I suppose, like, I mean, it, it, the GA providing clarity, it's a bit like last year, Tony, where I was getting frustrated about it. And the clarity they provided last year was to, to you know, wait three months, even longer than government, you know, uh, direction. And this year, they seem to be eager enough to go back. But it's the government that are moving the goalposts all the time, because we know, like, we were all hoping March the 5th. It doesn't look like anything's really going to be lifted now on March the 5th. And, like, for, I, I was speaking to Alan Milton already on the show, and it seemed to me like... You know, they were taken by surprise by this. And, you know, if a, if a situation arose where the government were going to, you know, there was some wiggle room on this, that the GEA would, 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 would maybe change their plans to try and bring it closer. I, the point I'm making is last year I thought the GEA were overly conservative. And this year I think they, they will go the minute they're allowed. 
Yeah, well, I suppose to counter that, uh, Neil Martin was on the uh, T-shirt, was on the radio this morning, and he talked yeah. about the level five being extended for another couple of months, and that under these conditions, that there'll still be no football under level five. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, then that's months beyond where we are in March. And he also made he also made a probably an innocent enough comment, but saying that the GA worked well at the tail end of last year. You know, and as I suppose, like when you hear those comments amongst what what uh, the GA are saying is now a government decision as to where we move with this, um, it's hard to believe that they're going to do anything um, this side of uh, this side of uh, you know summer. Probably. Yeah, it is. It definitely, um, we were saying earlier that, like, I mean, the optimism of a new year and a vaccine didn't take long for that to be for that script to be completely ripped up. <laughs> yeah, but there, there is a bigger piece here, and it's not just the um, the intercounty scene um, column. It's also the sport generally. And I know I have a colleague there in the Rock who's who is who's very vocal in this case in relation to getting kids back out playing. Like, yeah, and that's that's a very important piece that that's been that's making very little progress here at the minute is, is that we've kids, I've my own, you've your own column there as well, who who are not getting the sport, you know, who are not getting the activity of any description out there, you know. And and you mean this is a this is a place where we simply can't ignore um even if we up the risks of pros and cons in relation to where the virus is, you know. Yeah, no, they're definitely. So, what are you doing now? As like, have you even met your players yet? Like, I mean, what? You, maybe in December you would have been able, I presume. Um. So I met the players uh, as in met and call them uh, twice um, in December, and I haven't met them since. And um, we've been doing, or they've been doing individual training of runs and some home gym work, which, as you can imagine, is an ideal. But nonetheless, that's what they've been doing to now, and we've been having some Zoom calls, uh, once a week Zoom calls in smaller groups. Uh, with these players just to try and keep engaged. Um, we do have a meeting tonight um, and that meeting tonight will be to outline mm-hmm. how we move forward from here based on the communication that has been provided from the GA. you know. Right, right. That, that's, what, that's what we're looking at. So like, I mean, I suppose for, even for yourself, the excitement of your first inter-county job as the manager, as the main man, like, I mean, this is just, <laughs> script has also been ripped up. Like, I mean, can anything run smoothly? Yeah. Well, you know, you hope to get, as a new manager, you hope to get a boost of some description, you know, like the, the initial honeymoon period type thing, you know. Yeah. This is well and truly, this is well and truly shattered, shattered all that, you know. Like we're, you're trying to build a rapport with people from a distance and that's not yeah. at all helpful. You know, you're trying to cut a panel. We have a panel of 44 at the minute. Well, the intention was that we would cut that panel in 34. Like, and that's proven very difficult, obviously, because we can't get them to play. Um, but more importantly is once you do get to play, whether it's now or later in the year, We'll have a very small window uh, to work with whatever that is, you know. So if you want to implement your own style um, uh, and 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 their own, you know, to say that most teams should reflect their manager or their backroom team or whatever. Yeah. You do. If you want to to adopt that, then it's very hard to do that in, in a four week window, um, as well as get them conditions and everything else in order to play football, you know. So. Um, I'm not alone here. In, in my group alone in Division 4, there's uh, three new managers out of four in, in that new group, Mickey Hart and, and Andy McGinley. So we're, we're in a very similar position here where it's going to be um, a very haphazard year for us. And, you know, I mean, you know, if results mean everything, well, then clearly it's going to be a lot of losses this year. Yeah, and the problem is as well, um, Tony, is that we're like, are we sure the league will even be played now? They might just run straight into a championship in May. That seems like it might be the cleaner thing to do. Or if it went into June, you know, might we even see a league? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so, Colm, To be honest with you, I think that um, straight into a knockout championship or close to a knockout championship would be one, one 
uh, opportunity in the backdoor system otherwise would be would be um would be certainly not ideal. We would be much better running league into championship, even if it was a condensed league. Uh, running a league into championship or changing the format of that, uh, I think to um, to stagger it out the way it has been so far, and then to have a two game season would be just devastating for for people. You know, I, I give an example. We have we have young fellas in our team who have chosen this year to to set aside other sports that they play basketball and rugby in particular right. that they've chosen to set aside other sports to focus on the GAA. Now, while those other sports aren't actually you know ongoing either at the minute, you went, it, 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 this was their opportunity to say, well, let's give the GAA a go and let's see how let's see how it progresses, you know, and not, and that that that's not happening. We also have column three and f- maybe four people who presently at the minute in the squad are are looking for uh, support for uh, counselling or advisory support at this stage, and um, because the difficulties are having. Um, throughout the pandemic and with sport and with life in general, you know, yeah. and that's something that's something that you know. While we are fairly flippant about the mental effects of sport or the mental effects of not playing sport, it's something that's actually very real in in small groups that even I'm working with at the minute, you know. Come here, did you did you get Nile Murphy back in? Nile Murphy's back home. Yeah, yeah. Nile Murphy's that's another nice example. Nile Murphy is somebody who's off in Bali, uh, doing uh, whatever he's doing in Bali. And uh, Neil decided to come home there at the uh, end of January in order to prepare to be ready for March, you know, to be four weeks right. home, get himself organised, get some training done, you know. So clearly that hasn't worked out for Neil. Now, again, small sacrifice, but Neil has made the effort to come home um, uh, to Ireland to get ready for Sligo. And, uh, you know, where, where, where does that leave his plans, you know? Well, Joe, that's that, that's definitely disappointing for him. I, could, I if you want to ask me what he was doing in Bali, I could have an educated guess, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So look, I don't, I don't know, Tony. Sure, look, I suppose it's just we uh, have to just try and stay positive with it. Like and uh, like even from your point of view, trying to create a rapport with your players. And one, the easiest thing for a manager to have a rapport with his players is to have really good training sessions and you know impress them with the, with their ideas out in the pitch. You know, and you. you I don't know. Like, there's only so long you can drag these Zoom calls out. Like, would you be getting the tactics board in front of the Zoom charts to try and plant seeds in their heads about what, about what, how you might want to play? I don't know. Like, I mean, I cannot, It's not going to be easy. I've got, I've got three months of shows to do with no football. I can imagine what you have to do. <laughs> we we have done there some tactical sessions, you know, man. Which, which, you know, man. Anyway, we we've done them and they've actually went okay, you know, because something that I. The learning curve when we go back to it is always helpful. Now, yeah. Does it work well in Zoom or not? Who knows? You, you never really know until you go back, you know. Um, but you know, I suppose that's part of the thing is to try that. Now we are looking now at this stage to say, well, is any of this really worthwhile? You know, well, I don't, but how, how long can you get players to keep doing the conditioning at home, whether that be running or weights, without without a picture uh, to come back towards, you know, yeah. without some certain some certainty in that. And that'll be the basis of, of my call with the players tonight is like where do we go from here without knowing where the end end goal is? Um and and, and, and that that uh, that column is, is essentially the thing that the GA needs to provide the clarity on is where is okay, give us a picture here. Just tell us any picture, whatever it is, but just give us that clarity so that we can walk towards it. Yeah. Listen, I don't envy your task uh, Tony, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us here. Thanks, Colin. Take care. Great stuff from Tony there. All right, next up is Dan Morrissey. Now, um, I interviewed Dan yesterday, if in case anybody's going to listen to the interview and go, why the hell is Woolley not talking to him about the announcement last night? We didn't know. We thought we were going to start back on the 5th of, of March um, at that stage. All right, so Dan is up next. 
people do say, what do you love about hunting? They do say. Huh? Is, it, is it the fresh air? Is it the great outdoors? Is it the trail? No. I just love killing things. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so he won an All-Star in 2018 playing wing-back, and then Mike Casey got injured, and he's moved to the full-back line, and he's now favoured to pick up another one. At number three is Dan Morrissey, and he joins us on the line now. Dan, I'm going to call you the new J.J. Delaney. I don't know where... I'm, I'm sure you'd be very happy with that comparison. Uh, definitely, yeah. Uh, no, thanks for having me on the show, Woody. Um, I, uh, J.J., I suppose, is one of my, my all-time heroes growing up, so uh, three put in the same bracket as him now is, uh, is a great compliment to get. Well, like I mean, I suppose it, like to compare you to JJ, you've you've definitely taken the move, a surprising move, maybe back in from wing back to full back, and you've taken to it like you know a duck to water, I suppose. Yeah, um, look, I suppose it wasn't completely alien to me. I played there. Uh, I think 2012, my first year in the 21s was my first year playing full back, and right. then. I know 2016, I suppose, played a couple of championship games there, but yeah, since then I hadn't played there much, and. Look, obviously we had a lot of injuries. We had Troy Chinglish was just coming back from the cruise ship. Tom Condon was out and obviously Mike Casey was out. And then even the week before the Clare match, I was still, I'd say, lining up to be a wing back. And Aaron Costello, who was absolutely flying it, um, would have been playing in the full back line. And he um, pulled his hamstring on the Tuesday night before we played Clare. So I didn't make, take much notice of it. I still ended up getting ready to go training on the Friday. I thought I'd be... Uh, out in the half-back line and I, I see a call coming in from Paul Canark so I had a fair idea what he was about to tell me so obviously Aaron didn't, didn't pull through so I, I had to go back to the, to the number three shirts for the weekend Right well like I mean it must have been a very satisfying year for you like playing full-back playing as well as you, you have and then you've Barry Nash beside you who's a lot of experience in the forwards and I have to hold my hands up like we were speculating how teams could potentially get us at Limerick and we were suggesting you know maybe they might struggle in the full-back line it didn't, it didn't transpire at all Yeah no I thought, thought we settled in uh, fairly well um, I suppose the way Hurland has gone these days uh, in the backs you're getting pulled around you're moving in so much positions you just have to be able to adapt wherever you go like even in, in the fullback line it's, it's very rarely it's going to be three lads across the fullback line like the day of six forwards lining up marking six backs is well and truly gone so yeah. like, playing half back and fullback okay there is a lot of differences but at the same time if you compare it to maybe 10 years ago there, there's not as much differences well, that's the thing, because I was at the, the semi-final and the final in, in Croke Park, and I, I love matchups, so I was dying to see who you were pairing off against, and it was really hard to figure out, because one minute you'd be marking Conor Whelan, the next minute you'd be on Con Cannon. You kind of swap and change whoever's kind of nearest that man. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I suppose we don't do a whole pile of man-marking with whoever comes into your position. You pick up. Like most forward lines now play with a two-man inside line and the third yeah. per- person in the full forward line goes floating floating outside. Um, so, yeah, in in terms of picking lads up, um, you kind of pick up wherever's close to it. Like I always find the gas talking to people after a match and they ask, who are you marking? <laughs> so you could have been marking five or six lads over the course of the match, you know, and between you probably you probably mark all six of the forwards at some stage and then you could pick up one or two substitutions who come on, so... Um, yeah, I suppose you're never going to be on the one there for for our full seventy minutes. Yeah, no, that's it. And then I suppose you often teams that play against you, you guys play a sweeper, so one of your backs will be free, and then you're swapping around with them. You know what I mean? There's there's an awful lot of moving parts that are going on within a game. Yeah, yeah, no, one hundred percent. I suppose yeah, the way the game has gone, like 
uh, the half forwards nearly on all teams now are kind of dropping back and getting the ball and kind of coming forward and most teams are only leaving the one or two inside which which usually then means uh, you probably have one spare in the back um, so I know Barry Nash is probably a kind of spare man for a lot of the games this year but it kind of a uh, yeah, a lot of it you just kind of have to play it as you see it. You can't you can't plan too many things before the game. Come here, you're not scoring goals. Um, you're not conceding goals. Like, I mean, is this something you're concerned about, or do you do you care when you're racking up so many points? I don't think once you're racking up the points, I don't think and winning matches. I don't think it makes a huge difference. Um, like I still felt, I know we didn't score in a lot of games, score goals in a lot of games this year, but I still felt we were creating a lot of opportunities. Like um, even in the final there, like Stephen O'Keefe made a couple of great saves. We we had yeah. a, we had a couple of good goal chances, and we probably just didn't take them. So like I think I'd be way more worried if we weren't scoring scoring points there, goals. But uh, the fact that we're still creating chances, okay, maybe we could work. Uh, some of the forwards could do yeah. working on their finishing, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you're getting to the stage where you're dominating, hurling a little bit, and people are trying to find some sort of fault. Ah, well, they're not scoring enough goals. That's the that's the kind of problem with Limerick. Yeah, that's it. I think I suppose when when Galway won the All Ireland a few years ago, I, I don't think they scored either. So, um, look, I suppose players are getting so good at striking from far out the field. Lads are able to score from from the halfway line well inside their own half now. Um, these days, so I suppose when when people can score so far out from points and the point is on, they they might go for the point rather than playing it into the to the full forward line, you know. Well, well, that's the thing. Just on that, on on that tactically, I suppose your half forward line. We know how good it is and how many how many scores teams are spooked to follow them because they don't want to concede goals. So it's almost like you're saying, "All right, we won't go for goals. You're covering that, so we'll just give it to Hegarty and your brother, and we'll just we'll just knock them over from distance." Yeah, I suppose that is, and I know even when I was playing half back, every half back says it was finding, um the right time to when to push up on your man and not leaving and at the same time not leaving the full back line to- totally isolated you know so um, I think a lot of teams are playing similar styles um, at the minute with, with the half forwards coming back so I suppose yeah it's just finding a happy medium and when to push up on, on, your, on your man or when to make sure you're covering him behind you as well here, like I mean, this is a question I was interested in. Obviously, John Kiley and Paul Connor, like I mean, they're so highly rated and you know they're so good. But what they took over in 2017, you didn't win a championship match that year. Do you, like I know you had a brilliant performance. I, I, I specifically remember the Clare game. You didn't play that great that day, but you had a great performance against Kilkenny and Nolan Park in the qualifiers. Was that a turning point, or where do you? How did you get so good under them? You know. Yeah. That probably could tell you actually yeah, was probably the turning point because even the league that year we were, we were fairly poor to be honest um, and then yeah the first round of the Munster we got beaten by Clare which we were we were pretty poor in that game as well and yeah we put in a good performance blow on Northern Park against Kilkenny still lost by a couple of points and I think Kilkenny lost the following weekend to Waterford so it wasn't as if I suppose Kilkenny were flying it that year either right. um, so probably the, the real turning point I suppose, yeah, over that pre-season leading into 2018, then, like, we were only in 1B, so we had a few, I suppose, one-sided games, but we really didn't know where we were until we played Galway up in Salt Hill in the last round of the league um, that year. And when we beat them up there, we kind of knew, look, we, we were definitely going past and we had definitely improved because, yeah, I suppose 2015, 16 and 17 were, overall, they were three fairly poor years for us. Yeah, but all, obviously during that time, and you would have known very well 
with Tom's involvement in the under 21s that there was a serious bunch of players coming? Ah, yeah. Um, but then I suppose looking back to Limerick, we won three all Ireland under 21s in a row from 2000 2002. And I suppose there was no Munster success, 16 or 11 Munster all Ireland success. So at the same time, yeah, it is obviously great to, to be winning underage. And we knew there was a, a serious group coming, but. Um, that doesn't always transpire to to senior success, but yeah, like training obviously went well that that preseason. But at the same time, you can always say, that, yeah, we're going right well in training. You don't really know how you're getting on till till you meet the good teams. Yeah, I think that the that underage success and under twenty one success is in stark contrast to your under twenty one experience. Yeah, these I fair, fairly <laughs> enough. You know, with my twenty ones. Yeah, I played three years, 21s, and we got beaten in the first round every year. <laughs> so I think the, the year just before I came on, say my last year minor, they, they won the, the 21s monster that year, so I missed out on that. And, and I obviously had three years, was it 2012, 13, and 14. And we, we, in fairness, we had decent teams, but we just got beaten, beaten new straight knockouts. So I lost uh, two of the years and lost to Clare. Um, and then the year I was just overage, they went down and won the All Ireland then that year. <laughs> Jeez, oh, they won the All Ireland the year you had gone overage from losing three yeah. first round. Yeah, they won in twenty, yeah, fifteen. Yeah. So, you must be really enjoying these wins then, because yeah, I'm sure you would have been kicking yourself. Jeez, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a hard luck story here. Um, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, even the two years of minor, we never really made it to, to a monster final either. So. Yeah, underage. I suppose with Limerick, right? We had we had some great players. It was I suppose uh, at my age, uh, the class of '93, as we've said, is Shane Dowling would be my age and David Reedy for the three of us. I suppose it would have been on the panel say, in 2018, winning the All Ireland. But yeah, no, we didn't we didn't have a huge pile of underage success when you compare it to the teams that that went after us. So no, definitely what we won in the last three years at senior level has has more than made up for it. Yeah, no, it definitely has. Camilo mentioned your brother Tom a couple of times um, there. What kind of relationship do you have? Like, you're three years older than him. Like, are you the big brother that looks out for him, or you know, are you competitive with him? Absolutely, a mixture of both, to be honest. Um, look, it's great always um, to have a brother playing on the same team as you. Um, you try and offer any bit of advice that you can. He'd probably be giving me a bit of advice. We're both living at home here together, so you, you nearly be sick of each other at times as well. We do <laughs> um, in the house together, going training together. Um, so I know. Look, he obviously had a great year there last year as well. So um, yeah, it would. It is always competitive, I suppose, between us growing up. Sure, we would have always been up to back playing. Tom, Tom is a twin brother there as well, who who plays a bit. So the three of us would have always been out to back from a young age. Uh, the two of them against me, maybe in a in a bit of a game. <laughs> Yeah, so like, I mean, I'm sure you were beating the two of them for a lot of years. At what age kind of were you when you realised, Jesus, this lad's uh, practically up beside me now? Yeah, I suppose, was, I suppose at 16, 17, that kind of an age, they started, they started getting bigger. Because I was actually fairly small, I suppose I didn't get, I was late getting my growth spurt. I didn't grow till I was probably minor. Um, and same with Tom, Tom's other brother's fairly small, but... Yeah, no, you could definitely see kind of when they came to that age, they were they were catching up on me. I couldn't uh, I couldn't beat them up anymore. <laughs> I'm surprised you're saying you were small before because like you're a, you're a very big physical man now. I'm sure you do an awful lot of strength and conditioning. Just judging by, I'm sure Tom does as well. Judging by your physiques. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I know. I suppose underage with Limerick, the academy was just starting to kick off. I suppose when when I was kind of finishing it. So the first real year that we had proper strength and conditioning programs was my last year minor. I remember we were in the gym probably three nights a week in the pre-season. That was my first time really, I suppose, hitting, hitting the gym and getting bigger, whereas nowadays, the academy from, from age 14, lads are inside in the gym. Um, so yeah, I suppose, even in terms of height, I suppose I didn't start growing, getting taller till I was probably 18, 19. So um, yeah, like under age with Limerick, I would have been, I'd get corner forward like at under 14s and under 15s, I was in a corner forward as well. I would have been a small corner forward. So that changed over the, the next two years. There you go. JJ Delaney did that as well. Here, finding a lot of comparisons here, uh, Dan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but, uh, yeah, I think my days in the forwards now are well and truly behind me. So what are you doing at the moment? I'm sure yourself and Tom train together. It would be crazy not to if you're living, you know, back home in the house. Do you have your, do you set a time like seven? You might, like you would, you know, if you're training with Limerick after work or how do you manage it? Yeah, try and keep in a bit of a routine. Like Tom's working from home here as well. Um, so, yeah, we kind of do two, two or three gym sessions a week. We have a bit of a setup here in the garage, which is which is ideal. Um, and then, yeah, we have got on to maybe the ball ball or do a bit of running there um, a couple of evenings a week. But it's hard to know how much to be doing at the minute because there's so much uncertainty of when, I suppose, championship will be played and when we should be peaking. So, yeah. Um, I think there's meant to be an announcement next week just to kind of confirm what the story is. So after that, we'll be we'll have a better idea of um, what training needs to be done over the next few weeks and months. Well, that's the thing. You're kind of in no man's land at the moment. You know, you're in you're in a start whole of January and the start of February where you wouldn't be highly motivated too much. Anyways, you don't know when it's going to start. You know, you, you know. I'm sure you're given a training program, but like, I mean, motivation is probably an issue at this time of the year. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, you're nearly training out of, out of boredom, out of any, out of anything else. There's not a whole pile of else to be doing. But um, yeah, I think the talk is we we probably will be allowed to go back group training on the fifth of March, and they'll push everything back maybe three three or four weeks, so the league will start maybe the end of March. Um, and championship kind of gets from the original calendar they had issued. I, I think it might get pushed back three or four weeks. Um, so if that is the case, obviously it's not far out so it's important to be doing a small bit now but at the same time you don't want to be burning yourself out too early What does the Limerick team use for motivation now? Like you're double league champions you're double Munster champions you have done you've you've won in All-Ireland again you know which you know the cliche that a good team wins it once a great team is able to do it again what kind of what would John Kiley be getting inside your heads now to try and get you going for this year? Yeah, I just think it's to as win as much as you can while you can. Like I, I think the more you win, the actual more motivated you become. Um, like there maybe my first few years on the Limerick panel when we were, when we weren't as successful, I found it way harder to motivate myself, motivate myself going back pre-season because you'd be like, you'd be wondering, do you are you in with a realistic chance of winning an All Ireland? Whereas yeah. now you know going back, you you have a great chance of of winning Munsters and All Ireland. So. There's no issue with motivating yourself and knowing the feeling of winning and the celebrations that follow it. You're just mad to have to have those uh, days and weeks uh, every single year. Right. So instead of demotivating you as in, look, I've done that now. I've reached the top of the mountain. You just got a taste of it. and You want it every year. Yeah. And I think a lot of teams are like that. Um, 
like it's even in terms of football, it's it's a lot easier for Dublin footballers to motivate themselves every year compared to teams that probably don't have a chance to win. And so when when you know you're in the top few teams in the country, it's it's an easy, it's very easy to motivate yourself and, and get going and, and knowing what winning in All Ireland means and the crack you have the days and weeks after in All Ireland, you you just want to have those those days every single year. Yeah, like, I mean, a lot of people now are talking about a Limerick potential domination. You know, you mentioned Dublin there. What, like, is this something that could potentially motivate you as well? I'm sure you looked at that unbelievable Kilkenny team, um, you know, during the noughties and what they did in hurling. Like, I mean, or is this type of stuff you just have to keep out of your head because that'll actually distract you? Yeah, to be honest, I, I think you try and keep it out of your head like that. That Kilkenny team in the noughties, I don't think anyone any team would replicate that to be honest like they were just so dominant for, for 10 years whereas whereas now at the minute it, it is it is such a competitive championship like there is there are 7 or 8 teams that that can beat anyone on, on any day so look it would be great to win to win another few All-Irelands but it's so competitive each, each All-Ireland is so hard to win you just have to take it as it is yeah, um, just to, before before I let you go there, uh, obviously your performance as a fullback, I'd say you're a shoe-in for an All-Star, so, you know, contributed to a Limerick um, All-Ireland, but you also had Seamus Flanagan take it for 1-3 the week before the Galway match, and he obviously got back on the team and played really well. So you, 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 there's loads of loads of different aspects to how you contributed to Limerick's All-Ireland. <laughs> I, heard you, I heard you saying that in the podcast yeah, before <laughs> Christmas. I was, I was wondering, was it a dream or something? Yeah, because I can't remember who's fine that went off me. <laughs> what a, I know. Okay, so you, you can categorically you can carry categorically deny the Shibbles Flanagan did not hit you for one three the week before the Galway game, which parachuted him in onto the team. <laughs> yeah, I think it might have been a couple of times, but I don't know where he's <laughs> Very good, Dan. Listen, come here, I'll let you go. Um keep the head up, I suppose, like everybody else, and you'll be back trading again soon and we'll have a championship and a league this year, I'm sure. Perfect. No, great talking to you, Woody. Thanks very much for having me. All right, so we'll be back uh, next Thursday. We're going to continue on with the shows, obviously. Um, whether we can continue doing shows when there's no news going on, we might have to go back to our tribute shows, but they were good crack anyways. So listen, we'll definitely be getting you um, a show next uh, Thursday, one way or another. So we'll talk to you all then. Good luck. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so it opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the brakes when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know, and it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Warford today, because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.